everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to join me in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 26. Uh, the passage itself may have a subtitle above it, uh, beginning right above verse 12. It says the triumphal entry, and that will be our title for today. So if you have the notes there, if there's any weekly bulletin, I encourage you to take those out. Uh, they'll help us as we try to study through this uh, particular passage and glean some truths from it so that we can apply those truths to our own lives. Uh, we can worship the Lord Jesus Christ and understand him a little bit more clearly this morning. But the triumphal entry, this is um, what uh, many love, many would uh, uh, communicate happened on Palm Sunday. It's always celebrated this event on Palm Sunday, whether it was that uh, Sunday or the following Monday. But nonetheless, this is what many uh, refer to as Palm Sunday, where Jesus is entering into Jerusalem the week uh, that he will be betrayed and crucified. Uh, and so this is where we find ourselves in before we read that section of Scripture, I want us to kind of get in our minds somewhat what this may look like and then be able to take what we may have seen uh, in maybe our modern days and begin to compare it to what uh, really the motives behind our Lord Jesus Christ and His coming and how He responded to the fanfare and uh, the fame as it related to His approaching even uh, for this particular feast. I don't know if you've seen uh, after... Uh, professional uh, teams, whether it be the uh, Major League Baseball, MLB, or a National Basketball Association, the NBA, or the National Football League, where the NFL, uh, where they have uh, their world champs, right, the World Series champs or world champions as it relates to their particular league. And so typically when that particular team from whatever city they're from wins the, the, the coveted award, the, the world champs for that next year until the next one's crowned the following year, uh, the city typically throws a parade, a champion's parade. And it's marked off and uh, the area's been, uh, the course has been set and it's been communicated how the parade route's going to go. And, and uh, can be literally millions will show up and uh, be in the top of buildings if it's in the context of these cities and, and be looking from their office places or from roofs or from uh, the street itself and and millions upon millions flock to these just to get a glimpse of these champions and to celebrate the coronation of being uh, named world champs and the city to celebrate. So I don't know if you've ever seen that or ever been able to participate in that. Uh, but it's a pretty phenomenal sight to be able to see. And uh, you begin to see, especially in cities where they haven't won a, a um, championship in years, uh, the, the masses just come out in, in droves. And people are cheering and these guys are in uh, either on buses or many times are on in very nice cars or convertibles and, and the tops are down and they're sitting where they can be seen and, uh, and, uh, uh, and people are just screaming and are excited and are raving over this great, uh, great person, great team, great event. And then, of course, within each team you have the superstars that don the uniforms and even they are received or they receive most of the attention now via our television and they're their cars, their vehicles through the parade, this processional are the ones that receive the most attention. And when they come uh, to the next section of, of, of the, the next preceding block or a portion of the city, uh, the crowd just erupts and roars uh, at the greatness of these people. Those that touch, taste that for just a moment desire that again and again and again, the fame and the glory that comes with becoming a champion the renown of having millions of people take time out of their work week uh, to come and celebrate uh, with them, celebrate them in and of themselves and the feat and the marvels that they've accomplished. You see this not just in those venues, but you see it in the Pope when the Pope would travel and he begins to go to a variety of cities and you see his processional come in and millions of people are there to get a glimpse of him and to get a glimpse of uh, uh, his presence and desire to see him, and they worship him 
uh, as if he were God. You see that at our own inaugurations, in spite of the fact there may be protests in a variety of, especially many of the recent uh, presidential elections and inaugurations. Nonetheless, you still see hundreds of thousands of people uh, show up on a scene and, and desire to witness this moment, mo, uh, momentous occasion. And then you have the ongoing weekly activities where you have concerts where a particular celebrity will come into town or a certain singer will come into town and they'll perform. Uh, and you see thousands upon thousands uh, packing out stadiums or packing out uh, fields and venues and venues where uh, almost to the, the, the old Woodstock of old where days upon days you have these concerts that go on with multiple uh, performers and, and hundreds of thousands of people will be there and be present to sing along and to, to, to basically praise and to be, maybe even potentially worship at the feet of these people. If you remember some of the old um, uh, uh, video clips of the Beatles when they made their way to the United States, and for some of you, you're probably way too young for that, but when the Beatles made their way to the United States and people were uh, getting pressed into uh, the fences and, uh, and people were uh, passing out just through the, the sheer uh, emotion that came to be able to see and, and potentially get a glimpse of these singers, the Beatles. And the fanfare that came. And this for many people would be the pinnacle. For many of us, this would be what we would desire. And it's not uncommon for even pastors that desire to see more and more people in their churches and to see more and more people attend because their desire is to be, uh, is that we, we would find success and we desire this. And so many times that it can rival even with a commitment to scripture or a commitment to be being faithful because whether it's in the supposed secular world, as many would look at, or the world that's sacred, the reality is that this is a, uh, in, in us, our desires that we would be worshipped, we would be praised, that we would have fame. And I hope this morning that we, when we finish up the triumphal entry and, and uh, take this particular passage in itself and even couple it with uh, the other three accounts, uh, that we begin to see that Jesus' motivation was unbelievably different than that. Uh, Jesus' motivation upon people crying out to him, he was able to see through uh, the self-centeredness potentially. He was able to see through the praise and uh, potentially even the, the worship if, 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 if that were taking place in certain ways and be able to see that there was a greater purpose at, at hand. And I pray that's what we begin to see that helps us to remain, to remain consistent, helps us to remain faithful in the, in the ebbs and flows and the high times and the low times to be consistent with uh, the faithfulness of Scripture and to be the faithfulness uh, that our, our Savior has taught us. And so uh, as we read this, I want you to see both aspects. I want you to imagine, since we're not there and we don't know exactly how many people were present, uh, how many people were there that flocked the roads, but ultimately uh, we know there was going to be two large crowds, and I'll point that out to you, uh, one that was coming with Jesus from Bethany and then one that was coming from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Um, but there were massive crowds that were there and much fanfare, to be to go along with, and so I want us to have in our backdrop uh, these contemporary examples that I've already mentioned, just to try to help us to be able to see this and to see how Jesus can see through all of that for much greater purpose that will help us to be able to do the same, the Lord willing, in our time. So uh, here on this planet, and we can honor and glorify God and be can be faithful to God's call for our lives. So John chapter twelve, twelve uh, chapter twelve, verse twelve. Through 26. We remember just from background, uh, Jesus has been to Bethany, two miles east of Jerusalem. So it's within walking distance. We've clearly been close enough where people in Jerusalem would have heard about what's going to transpire here. There had been a major miracle. Uh, Lazarus had been dead and been in the tomb four days. And so his body would already begin to decompose. And um, it would have been an, an ugly scene, a, a smelly scene, uh, to, to say the least. And so ultimately, many times, even in Jewish culture, I believe the spirit had departed. And many times they had an understanding that the spirit would hang around for two or three days before it would eventually depart completely from the body. The Bible doesn't teach that. It says to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. But nonetheless, Jesus had waited four, uh, four days until the timing of resurrecting Lazarus, even to put that to death. And even the previous resurrections that were more immediate in time, this was uh, something that had never been seen before. And so ultimately in this uh, this major resurrection had taken place. They were going to have a feast, or they had a um, uh, dinner for Jesus. And so at this dinner, that Lazarus was there, Mary was there. Uh, she anoints Jesus for his burial, even though I don't think she knew that that was what that was for, but she was trying to honor the Lord, to praise him, uh, to worship him. 
Lazarus was at the table. Martha was serving. It was at Simon the leper's house. So, um, a man who was formerly a leper was hosting this event and was working in conjunction with uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus to just honor Jesus before his triumphal entry. And then we see that many began to come to him wanting to see not simply Jesus, but to see Lazarus upon whom he had healed and had resurrected from the grave. And as a result of that, they, the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Lazarus and Jesus, right? So this is where we find ourselves. Verse 12, John chapter 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, the daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and, that, <clears throat> and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. And so the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life and loses it, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us understand more what's going on in this passage. First glance in this narrative, it just seems like a variety of events that are disconnected. It seems like it couldn't really apply to us. Yes, we're probably somewhat familiar, if not very familiar with these events. And Lord, it may be there. We're sitting here, it's Impress me if you can. Enlighten me if you will. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be just aimless bystanders. But Lord, that we would be engaged. And Lord, that our desire would be to know more of your son, the Lord Jesus, upon who which lived the life we couldn't and died the death that we deserve, that we may behold him. And be, by beholding him, we become more like him. We become transform from one degree of glory to the next. That's our aim this morning. I pray that you would help us to be transformed. And yes, Lord, that you'd help us to set our hearts on the things that are above and not the things that are on this earth. And so aid us in that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you think about where we've, what's happening and you have in the background of your mind some of those illustrations I gave earlier of this procession of these individuals who were coming and flocking uh, to see these celebrities, to see these entertainers, to see these uh, famous individuals, to see these supposedly sacred men, if you will, uh, depending on uh, supposed sacredness in that sense as far as the popes and things that people believe about them. The reality is when individuals look and, and come, you, I want you to have that in your background because this is going to be the scene, somewhat the scene, as Jesus is making his way uh, to Jerusalem. And so the first thing I want us to see is the praise of the coming king, the praise of the coming king. It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now you have to, it seems disconnected for us because it just seems like it's a story. It's just an account of history. But for them, it was this was unbelievable, and this was very, very exciting. The words of Jesus over the course of these three-year ministry and Jesus' fame and popularity have only begun to intensify and increase more and more and more. And the self-centered desires of the people of Israel was just reaching an apex, a climax of their desire to be freed from Rome. They desired to be uh, on their own and be able to be a nation that's going to be able to 
uh, at least in their, by word, was saying they wanted to be able to glorify God again. I think it had more to do with national independence than I think about the glory of God. But nonetheless, the reality is this is what they were looking for. And they began to see that this could be answered in a man named Jesus of Nazareth. And so when you begin to think about this, as he, he begins to approach, there was a, a crowd that was there. If you go back to verse 9, it says, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. So there's a crowd that had already heard about Jesus and was going to Jesus and wanted to see him, that he had raised him from the dead. And so as a result, the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many, were, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So they were leaving and coming to uh, Bethany, two miles east of Jerusalem, and it was close enough to walk there, close enough proximity to be there. And so there's a huge crowd that had come, had seen this, had witnessed, had, as people were bearing witness about this resurrection, that people were flocking there. And so you have a large crowd that's with Jesus, and then you have a large crowd that's still coming to Jesus. So the word gets out that Jesus is going to be making his way to Jerusalem. Um, so there's a crowd with him. They had been, already been making their way. And then that crowd that's with him is beginning to approach and make their way. I'm sure some had sent ahead. And so now the crowd's being told, hey, if you want to get a glimpse of this Jesus, you want to talk to this Jesus, you want to interact with him, he's coming. And so a crowd begins to now make their way to him, right? And so that's what verse 12, and you're going to begin to see this crowd praising him. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, which translates, save now, save us, save we pray. He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And this is what uh, direct quotation out of, or somewhat direct quotation out of Psalm chapter 118, verse 25 and 26, is why we read that this morning as a part of a Psalm 113 to 118, the Hallel that was used, that was even sang um, and recited and worshipped as a part of their worship and praise at the Jewish feasts. And so it comes here. And this Psalm in particular is one that would be a praise, a praise of what they call a conqueror's psalm here's our conqueror and he's the one who's going to deliver us he's the one who's going to save us he spoke about that at jesus and so when you think about now why would they think that why would they want that you begin to see as i said here even the king of israel this conquering king this is what they're longing for so i want us to be careful here that when we look at this and we see this praise that's being granted to jesus that we understand what, what is actually taking place here, not what do we infer upon it, looking at it from a Christian perspective. I think many times we can look at this and believe that the vast majority of the masses that are here is almost like a worship service that we're having, where there's been a genuine turning from sin and a genuine looking to the holiness of God and our sin, the sinfulness of man, begin to see the very righteousness that we need in Christ, that Christ had completely obeyed God the Father in every aspect of his life, and then died a sacrificial death in our stead so that his righteousness could be given to us in our account and that uh, our sin would be put upon his shoulders and he would have died for us and that we would receive his righteousness. And by turning from sin and placing our faith and trust in Jesus and in his life and his finished work on the cross, that we could have our sins forgiven and be rightly, uh, can be, have a right relationship with God and have the end one of the Holy Spirit that we could then be enabled and empowered to worship Jesus and to understand His Word and obey His Word. That's not at all the type of praise that was happening here. It's not at all what the praise was happening here. They want a king, not a savior in that way. Not a savior that will die a Savior, yes, if that Savior is a king who will conquer and rule, that's what they want. How do we know this? It's because when you begin to think about the type of works that Jesus did and the type of works that John is listing for us, it helps to put to kind of connect the dots. Remember as a child, you have a sheet and you've got the little dots and they've got the numbers on them. And, and the more extensive ones, it's harder to tell exactly what this thing is. But the more you begin to connect it, right, then the more you begin to see and understand what's being happening here, happening here. And so you begin to connect the dots as it relates to John and why the things that he's written helps us to begin to see what they're actually longing for here. And so, yes, there's amount of praise that's taking place. They're using these palm trees and palm branches to lay down on the, on the road. They're, they're throwing their own tunics or their cloaks on the ground to kind of make a, a, a pathway for Jesus and, and to, to, to honor him and to praise him. And so there's the praise of this coming king and this triumphal entry. Yet even in that, the, the reality can be self-centered. Reality can be self-centered in this. I'll give you an example to help you understand this. This is like when uh, 
you have individuals who are celebrities and the people come up. And what do many times people want to do now when they come up? It's not just simply meeting the celebrity. What do they want to have happen? You can talk to me. Autographs or picture taken, right? So why do we want the autograph or the picture taken? Is it because we genuinely care about the person primarily? No, it's so that we, we do a selfie, right? And all of us get our picture taken with the celebrity and immediately post it for our own benefit, for our own fame, for our own glory. Had lunch with, name the celebrity, hashtag blessed, right? What are we doing? We're, it's what they call in trending circles, humble brags. We're basically boasting and bragging on ourselves as a result of posting whom we've interacted with and whom we've hung out with. And this is very similar here to their desire to want Jesus because they see him as a potential king of, of Israel, a conqueror king. Now imagine this type of person that can do these types of feats. Number one, he's a conqueror because he conquers death. He had just raised a man from the grave after being dead and decayed for four days. Imagine a conqueror that needs to go out to war. You would want that guy on your team, would you not? Guy gets an arrow shot through his heart. Spear thrust through his side. Right? Cannonball or a rock of some sort that was catapulted that crushed somebody's leg and he just comes over and heals it. All of a sudden, your army never gets depleted. He just keeps raising the dead as the army goes out to war again and again and again. And so we have a man who can conquer death. You have a man who can provide food. What? What city, what nation wouldn't want the opportunity that there was an, a, a, a nation were to surround, which will eventually happen to Jerusalem at, at AD 70. Rome will begin to encircle there and encamp around the city. Eventually will then cut off the supplies that could be brought there and eventually starve them out. Well, you won't need that. All you need is just a couple of loaves and a few fish and you can feed the masses. He can provide welfare for people just from almost nothing at all. He can provide the food that we need. He himself said that he has the, he's the river of life and provides water, living water for them. Now, that wouldn't be exactly what he meant by that, but ultimately, if you're looking at it from a selfish standpoint, you wanted him to be king. And this is exactly after defeating of the 5,000 they wanted. They wanted to make him king. You think about provisions, health care for our own society, our own nation. You think about when it's the next election that happens and how are you going to provide for us and what's our financial situation going to be what are you going to do about health care no no worry about health care he can restore sight to a blind man he can heal a man who's been invalid for 38 years he casts out demons he heals the sick he cares for the poor and who wouldn't want this guy to be their king He's the deliverer. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. And so as he's coming on the scene, you've got his popularity has growing and, and people that are just like you and I who want to be seen with him and want to have benefits from him are attaching themselves to him because they want something from him. See, this is the allure of fame that those who, that's what they desire, the self-centered aspect of it, which Jesus did not have, who desire the fame for man, can never keep it. And they begin to realize the weirdness of what I just described, that people want to be with them, not to know them. They either want money from them, they want popularity from them, they want their own name and status being aided by them. They want to be seen with them for ulterior motives. And it can make them very, very disoriented right? Disillusioned with people and with society. And in this, this isn't, this is what's happening as far as what the people are doing, but this is not what's taking place in the very heart of Jesus. But they're crying out, they're even reciting scripture from Psalm 118, save now, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And so you see the praise of the coming king. Number two, I want you to see the prophecy fulfilled by the coming king. See, Jesus wasn't all caught up in the praise he was about obeying the word. He is the word that became flesh and dwelt among them. And the prophecy fulfilled by the coming king, it says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This is a direct quotation from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And Jesus, in the other 
gospel accounts will send his, his disciples to find uh, to, a, to a particular person's house that had a, uh, a donkey with a colt, uh, a donkey's mother with a colt or a foal with her. And he says, hey, you're going to go to this particular street and find this, this donkey there um, um, tied to a, this house or tied to this location. And when you go there, just tell them that the Lord has need of it. And so disciples obey as they were instructed and they show up and they begin to untie this. And the man comes out and says, hey, what are you doing? And he said, the Lord has need of it. Evidently, that was a believer that already knew the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they were okay with that because no other instructions are given. And so the Lord has need of it. Yes, sir. Amen. May he use my colt and donkey. And so uh, that they go together and it says in this that Jesus sat on the donkey's colt, right? On the fold, the younger of the two. Now, this is a direct fulfillment of Scripture and a direct Jesus sending them with his omniscience already knowing these things, sending them ahead, sending the disciples to find exactly what would be instructed. And they bring the, the foal to him. And he, of the two, he could have sat on the mother, right? But, you know, he chooses the smaller of the two. And this is it's important for us to see this and what's transpiring. So why would they need them both? Well, ultimately, if you have a young colt, it's not been trained. And so you're going to need the mother to be there so that the colt will follow its mother. So the mother, the donkey's there to lead, to be led. And so then as she leads, and Jesus will be on the colt. But this is a demonstration of humility. Demonstration of humility. He didn't choose a white horse to ride in on with pomp and splendor, right? He didn't, he's not picking out the nicest of vehicles, if you will. It's like in our parades and people want to do, they want to be seen in nice vehicles and uh, to be able to see, be seen by more and, and it helps attribute to the glory of this particular person to see how nice this is. This would be exactly what Haman wanted when he wanted to tour around the city, right? But ultimately, he had to carry out the very hands of the king uh, for Mordecai instead as a means of humbling him before he would eventually hang on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. But do this for, for the man you want to honor, king. That's what Haman wanted. Put me on, give me your clothing, he look like you. Give me your power, your prestige. Somebody come before me and, and proclaim my goodness as I have this parade through town. That's not what Jesus was about. Jesus was about demonstrating that peace was going to be made for man, for sinners, that man could have peace with God. Jesus wanted to be able to communicate, I'm not going to be the coming king and conqueror that you want. Oh, I am a king, and I am a conqueror, and I am a deliverer, and a messiah, and a provider, and a healer but not to be at your whim. I'm here to make payment for sin and sinners so that you could be forgiven. And so Jesus fulfills prophecy with intentionality. Disciples, go get this donkey and bring the foal that I may ride upon it and demonstrate my humility. Demonstrate that I'm not coming here for that, for pomp and for splendor. That I'm actually coming for Peace, another reason when the king would come in, a conquering king would come in, he would ride upon a white horse and demonstrate his, how much he's conquered and he's about war. And yet Jesus came in on a colt demonstrating he was about humility and about peace. And so you see that despite the fickle praise of the people, Jesus was about commitment to the word and the word of God. And so he was there to fulfill prophecy in his approaching Jerusalem. And then once you see the people's reactions to the coming king. The people's reactions to the coming king. So we're going to have a variety of four, at least four different reactions that take place here. And this is not even going to be necessarily new to you, but I want to continue to point these out as we go through it. It'll help us to be able to see. And it leads us to a final, and I think probably most important point and our final point for this morning. But let's take a moment and just look at the people's reactions to the coming king. First, you see the disciples' confusion. The disciples' confusion. It says that Jesus now... It gave instructions for them to find this young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. It says his disciples did not understand these things at first. They just followed his instructions. They didn't know this was a direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. It's like he told me to go, go to this particular location. I went and did what he said. I mean, it was exactly how he found it, but that's not news because he knows everything, it seems, and so he tells me to go here, and I went there, and I found it, and told them the Lord had needed of it, and they didn't give us any qualms about it, and we bring the donkey, and he rides into town. Seemed odd. He could have chosen probably other things to ride on, but, you know, who knows why he did, why does what he does. He always shocks us in the things that he does, the disciples may have thought. 
It says they didn't understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, after he had gone to the cross and then was, um, had died and was in the grave for three days and resurrected on, on the Lord's Day on Sunday, he shows up and he begins to teach them. Luke chapter 24 tells us that he goes from the law and the prophets, goes to Moses and begins to teach them what the Bible had spoken, the prophecies that would be fulfilled at his hands. And so then uh, when Jesus was glorified, after he had been resurrected and had his, um, uh, his glorified body, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. But this is now John writing after the fact, writing this gospel to us so that we have these things filled in. We have these way of understanding, just like it was written earlier about uh, Lazarus, I mean not Lazarus, but of Judas, the one that was going to betray Jesus. They didn't know that at the time. When they all sat around, it was like, oh yeah, and then Judas, he's the, you know, the marked one, and we all know he's the only one who betrays him. No, this writing after the fact, they're putting in these parenthetical statements to help us to be able to clue in as this thing goes, gives us some insight. But at the time, when Jesus is riding in, they didn't know these things, and there was confusion surrounded it. They know, ultimately, that there's a plan to put Jesus to death. Right? They know that things are happening. In verse 53 of John chapter 11, So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. How do they know these things? Because the word's getting out. How's the world getting out? So he knows that because why? In verse 54, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Jesus would have known that in his own omniscience, but if he didn't know that, verse 57 tells us how the word may have gotten to him otherwise. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. They might arrest Jesus. The word would have gotten back, hey, Jesus, they want to arrest you and they want to put you to death. You remember even earlier in the story, they've countless times have already gotten um, stones to try to attempt to stone Jesus, to kill Jesus. In his own hometown, Nazareth, they wanted to push him off a cliff. People rejected him again and again and again. And as you see Jesus about to go back, even to Bethany, um, uh, and that, that whole interaction that was about to transpire, you remember the conversation with Thomas, and Thomas was like, hey, we might as well go back and die with him, right? This is right before John chapter 11. The word was already that it, uh, it gotten so intense that they knew that Jesus, they wanted Jesus to be put to death. And so as a result, uh, the disciples are confused. In one sense, they, they realize this, is, this antagonism with, with the religious leaders continues to grow. And yet at the same time, then Jesus is still doing certain things openly. He's healing people. Now people are coming to him in masses. And now they're, they're coming in and they're seeing all these people praise him. And in their mind, they're like, he keeps talking about dying. He keeps talking about even right before this when he raises Lazarus from the dead and they have a feast for him. And he says, this is to be done for my burial He's already told them three times he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die. And I'm sure in their mind they're just perplexed. It's like, I don't know what's happening. And half the time they love us and the other time they hate us. Every time it seems to go well, Jesus does something that makes people mad. Disciples have confusion. Can I say as a disciple there can be confusion for me as well? Maybe for you also. Why is it happening the way it happens? Why do things go the way they go? Bible doesn't tell us everything that's going to happen. It gives us instruction of things that we can know, should know, everything that relates to life and godliness, for sure. But you don't know this week what phone call you're going to get, what loved one may die. You may get a, an illness, and it represents metastasized cancer. Receive a phone call from a loved one of the passing, a family member. We don't always know what God is up to in and around us and in our midst. So the disciples here are confused. They don't exactly know what else being happened, what else happening in the moment. But Jesus is fully aware and is fully on, on target, on plan. That's the disciples' confusion. But then you see the crowd's curiosity. Verse 17 and 18. The crowd that had been with him, just the one that was in Bethany. When he called Lazarus out of the tomb and had raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. So the, these who have seen it that was there are men just sharing this story everywhere they go, right? So this is, the, this is the 
Snapchat, and this is the, the areas for things to be trending, and, and the, the word going out to the masses, right? And the, and the forums and venues they had, they didn't have social media, they didn't have the World Wide Web. And the means that they would use, word of mouth and, and communicating, man, this is going out. I was there. You won't even believe it. I was there, and he healed Lazarus. It's crazy. And so the words go out, it's bearing witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. And so now you've got a crowd that was with him, and they're going out and sharing, and now you've got a crowd that's coming to meet him, and this is why you have the two crowds that are going to meet. They'd heard that he had done this sign. There's a curiosity for us, is there not? A desire on our part. Many times it can be self-centered. I don't want to, I don't want to have FOMO. You ever heard of FOMO? Fear of missing out. Right? Be paralyzed with indecision because you don't want to make a decision because you, don't, you want the greatest potential opportunity. This could be birthday presents, Christmas gifts, marriage partners. And if I lock in, then I'm, 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 that's where I'm at. Fear of missing out. And so people flock to this and word begins to spread. What is going on? You can see it in so many simple ways. You just see an accident on the expressway, right? And it's way off the road, and you can continue to drive. You probably need to slow down some, but not creep to like four miles per hour, right? And you think, man, there must be a major accident. They're trying to clear the road, and you get up on the scene, and there's no problem whatsoever. Why did everyone slow down? They wanted to gawk at what was taking place, and the curiosity got the best of them. And, and then it opens right up, and you're back to maximum speed, right? Speed limit or beyond. And so, curiosity. And so, you've got people flocking. There's a crowd that has curiosity. This is why that crowd who is praising him for self-centered reasons can at the end of the week, by Friday, be crying out for his death. That's why it's completely self-serving and their curiosity. Number three, you see the Pharisees' contempt. You see the disciples confused in the crowd's curiosity, the Pharisees' contempt. So, the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. They had a plan. They wanted to put him to death. The other gospels begin to say, but they, knew, they know they need to wait because his fanfare continues to grow. Hey, we probably need to wait till after the feast, right? We don't want any backlash from this. And Jesus didn't allow that to happen at all. He's got a timetable. And a timetable is he is going to die as the Passover lamb. That's where I'm headed. My face is toward Flint. And I'm going to make this happen. Their plan actually wasn't to, 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 uh, to kill Jesus during the Passover, if you read the Gospels, it says, hey, we don't want to do this now. There's too many people who are attracted to Jesus. Too much is going on. And this is the evidence here. You see, we are gaining nothing. Look, the world's gone after him. And so the other Gospel writers are, are communicate even more. They'll say, listen, the Pharisees' plan wasn't to, to make this thing happen. Let's wait till after the feast. But yet, at the same time, there's contempt. They want him dead. They wish he was already dead. And you see this here, that the Listen, we're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Now, hear that just for a moment. From a Christian perspective, don't we want the whole world to go after Jesus? Isn't that gaining everything? But when you don't want Jesus, you feel like you're losing everything and you're gaining nothing. Gaining nothing and there's contempt for him. And the orchestrating of God's will and purposes just makes people angry because they don't want to submit to him as Lord and Savior. They want to see the world through his lenses. And so even the people, as they were fickly giving him praise, the Pharisees are obstinate about this. Look at Luke chapter 19. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read a couple of verses. But Luke chapter 19, verses 39 and, and following. Uh, we'll start with 38 just so you've been to see it. This is the whole aspect of what we're just reading. The, Jesus is coming on. Um, he's making his way down the Mount of Olives, and the multitudes are there, and they're, 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 they're saying, um, verse 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them. They don't need to be giving you praise like that. Glory in the highest, peace in heaven. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He's clearly not coming in the name of the Lord. doesn't need to be worshipped like that. 
Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Look at the contempt they have for Jesus. And listen to Jesus' response. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the hour that I will be glorified. This is the hour that I'll be glorified. This, even the passage, our passage that we're in in John chapter 10 tells us that. This is the hour that I will be glorified. You see the Pharisees' contempt. And then you see an interesting here that John puts in, the Gentiles' concern. The Gentiles' concern. It's going to be major, and this is a, a little bit of a picture here, a snapshot of what of events still to come, where God is going to pass over the Jews and pursue the Gentiles after they foundationally, fundamentally as a nation reject Christ. And the gospel is going to go out to the Gentiles. And so you see a precursor of this here in verses 20 through 22, the Gentiles' concern. So now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, and that's not uncommon. There was a, gent, uh, a court of Gentiles, and so uh, there were clearly Gentiles, and this would be Greek here, Greeks who would convert to Judaism, and so they would be God-fearing Greeks. And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. There's Evidently, I've heard the things that have been said about Jesus. They have heard the crowd speak of him, and they want to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew went and told Jesus. And so as a result of this, you see that there's a... Uh, prefiguring, a foreshadowing, if you will, uh, that the gospel is going to be going out to Gentiles. But here, at the very least, you see Gentiles' concerns. They want to come talk to him. They want to get a hearing with Jesus. Which then leads us to our last point. You see the praise, the praise of the coming king, the prophecy fulfilled by the king, and the people's reactions to the coming king. But here's probably the most important thing to see, the eternal purpose of the coming king. The eternal purpose of the coming king. And Jesus answered them, so they want to The Greeks want to come have a hearing with Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. How many times have you heard Jesus say again and again and again, It's not my hour. It's not yet my hour. Just did the Gospel of John alone. It's not yet my hour. It's not yet my hour. It's not yet my hour. Remember all the way back to John chapter 5? They wanted Jesus, his brothers wanted Jesus to go up. Hey, you need to go up to the feast. What man, what prophet doesn't speak? Just just hides himself and does all these signs without anyone seeing. You need to go be seen. What did Jesus say? It's not yet my hour. Again, they always try to stone him and to kill him, and it's not yet his hour. They could not take his life. And yet now, Jesus says, the hour, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. My eternal purpose is about to be fulfilled. I came to make disciples, and I came to die for sin and sinners. And the hour has come for him to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So, you know, keep this in what's happening. What's happening in this moment? Everyone's trying to figure out what's going on and what's going to be best suited for them. Disciples are confused. The crowd's just curious. The Pharisees are in contempt. The Gentiles are unsure. What do you do with Jesus? How do you interact with him? Who can figure him out? Meanwhile, God's eternal plan is unfolding. Right on course. And where it had not been the hour for Christ to be glorified, now's the hour. We're coming up on the time where Jesus is going to go and go for what? Go to die. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, it dies and remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus came to die for sin and sinners. They want a Messiah that's going to deliver them. They want a conqueror that can raise the dead. They want a provider that can give them food and drink. They want a healer that can prevent and even um, heal sickness and sight and uh, give sight to the blind and and heal the lame. And Jesus says, I'm going to accomplish those things for sure. And the eternal kingdom, that's, that's going to be a reality. But that's not why I've come. I've come so that as a grain dies, that it would bear much fruit. I'm a little bit of a farmer um, myself. We have a garden every year. It seems to get bigger and bigger every year that we have it. And I'm always amazed that one grain of seed can produce so many other heads of grain. It's just amazing. And I remember numerous times as I'm pruning back my okra plants or my tomatoes or seeing our watermelon Watermelons grow in our vines. It's just phenomenal to see. This was one seed. And out of that will be hundreds, if not thousands of seeds. We keep our seed from year to year. Provides a 
harvest for us, and yes, it provides us opportunity to be able to then plant for next year's garden. I get it. I need to die so others may live. This is what Jesus came. He says, all this fanfare, it's, it's going to be gone by Friday. I'm not, I'm not entertained at all by this. I get it. Many would love that moment. Jesus says, no, I'm going, to fulfill, I'm going to stick by the word. I'm going to fulfill the will and plan of God. And I'm not going to get distracted by man's praise. Whoever loves his life loses it. Right? You're going to miss it, boys. You who say, rebuke your servants. Pharisees, you're missing it. Why? Because you love your life too much. Crowd who's curious, sees the sign, wants the wonders, you're going to lose your life. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Those who begin to see what I'm about, who truly want me, yeah, they're going to lose out on all the fanfare of this world. Most of it, if not all of it. But then they're going to have eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So he says, listen, the hour has come for me to be glorified. The time for me to be crucified on the cross is here. I must die and my disciples must die with me. My disciples must follow me, be with me where I'm at. that They may be there also. And in doing those things, they will be honored with me and the next life. That's exactly what happened. Now, this is exactly where we're at, but I want you to see a, a little snapshot that just helps you to see even more drive home the point here. And I'm not trying to be Captain Killjoy. I really want us to see what's happening here because in this particular passage, you see it, but I, and I think, well, I, mean, I just think you always take like something really awesome, Pastor, and then you just like crush it because you're like, you hate us and you want us to be depressed all the time. No, I just want you to see, don't get snookered by the things of this world. Don't get hoodwinked by the things of this world. Okay? That's what I, what I want us to catch, capture here. When Jesus shows up on the scene and all this fanfare is happening, he was steadfast to the word of God. Right? And the Pharisees come up and they're rebuking him. You know what? The next two things that happen that's recorded in the gospel according to Luke. That was where the portion there I read earlier in Luke 19 where the Pharisees rebuke him. Tell him to tell your servants to quit. Knock it off. He says, no, the stones will crowd if they don't. Listen to what happens next. And when he drew near and saw the city. Right? So people were, it's already happened. They're blessed. In the previous verses, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And meanwhile, in the midst of all this praise. Pharisees are, once again, doing their deal, man. They're dogging him. You better tell your boys to be quiet. No, if they quiet, the stones are going to cry out. There's a lot of stones in Jerusalem. And when he drew near and he saw the city, what did he do? He wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you. This is AD 70. This is going to happen. And surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You missed it. But Jesus knows. I'm seeing straight through all this fanfare. I'm brokenhearted for you. Brokenhearted. That you can have all the... How does this play to us, Pastor? You can have all the religious trappings of praise and your heart not be there. They're saying all the right things, but their heart's not there. They're about to... A few days, are going to betray Jesus. Betray him. What's the next thing he does? So he stops and he weeps. What's the next thing he does? Doesn't get much better from there. Verse 45, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. 
And the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. The crowd was still there. And he went right in and corrected the worship. As a pastor, I long for us, for me and for you, that our time would be focused on the word just like Jesus and not get caught up in any fanfare. And that we see past it, we understand that this world's going to try to sell a false bill of goods to us. And yet the scripture says of Jesus that, man, he begins to weep over the condition of his people, understands where this thing is going, and then goes in to try to correct the correct actual worship in the, in, the, in the worship center. The takeaway for us is that why I want us to be prepared is that we need to be praising the coming of our king. He is coming again. And in the coming of our king, he's going he's to fulfill prophecy again. He is, the word is said, he's coming back and he's, his word's going to be fulfilled. And unlike the others, we, we shouldn't be confused. The word has told us this is what's going to happen. We need to be in the word of God. And we need to set our heart like flint. That we're going to do what the Bible says to do. And ultimately, why? Because there's an eternal purpose of our coming king. We're not going to be lured by all the schemes of man. That yes, the masses, and it looks great. And everyone's saying the right things. But their hearts aren't transformed. And Jesus might show up in our worship service or in other people's worship services and need to bring reform because we're not about eternal purposes. That's what the triumphal entry was about. Much different than what most of us think, right? Oh man, everybody was just praising the Lord. Everyone loved him. I can't figure out what happened by the end of the week. And Jesus came in with an agenda. His hour was for him to be glorified. And his hour was to confront people in their own sin so they would be willing to do what he says. They would lose their life or they would hate their life in this world that they may keep it for eternity. They would serve him and follow him that where he's going to be, they will be there also. And if anyone serves him, the Father will honor them. Can I tell you, My aim is to be pleasing to the Father. My aim is to be pleasing to the Father. I pray your aim is to be pleasing to the Father. Let's pray. God.